my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an enemy encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. But he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of me. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And our second reading is from Ephesians 4, 17 to 32. Ephesians 4, 17 to 32. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you went in Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught of him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor, and be the members of one another. Be angry and do not sin, do not let the sun go down in your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as in God Christ forgave you. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, this is all for you. This service, your word. So Lord, as I speak, pray that you would be speaking through me. Pray that you would open our hearts and our ears so that we listen to what you have to say. Please help us renew our minds to not stay in our old minds, but to live our new minds in our relationship with you. I wanted to start by saying that I can't. Okay, cool. All right. Um, so, this time I want to start by saying that it's great to be back with you all. Um, we were at Southwest Fox last weekend camping with family, and uh, we had that moment where we were just longing to get back to our bed, and uh, as, as people do, camping trips, and um, well, it feels the same way to be here with you guys. Um, I greatly did appreciate um, the way that we were praying before the service. <coughs> Appreciated all that. Um, so, um, as we continue our text uh, in Ephesians uh, this morning, um, we'll be focusing on verses 17 to 32. Um, and uh, we're well into the application part of Ephesians. Um, on the past Two weeks, um, Dave has been uh, taking us through uh, what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the call into which we've been called. Um, and last week we talked about how we're all called to be in ministry, uh, and how we're each given gifts by Christ. Uh, and so, as we started, as we start today, I just wanted to ask uh, one question to get our minds thinking, uh, and that is, what is it that your mind most if we were to take a video camera and somehow put it in your mind and, and uh, record all the things that you've been thinking over the past week or even just this morning and played it up on that projector, what would we be seeing? What would be some common denominators? Because the thing that we will now see emerge in Ephesians 4, as Paul continues, uh, is how the Christian's mind works and specifically how that works in the context of us as the people of God, walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Specifically, how we don't walk according or, or like the Gentiles. Um, so we're going to split uh, our reading this morning uh, into three parts. Uh, firstly, we'll look at the old mind and uh, what our minds were like when we were like the Gentiles. Um, secondly, we'll, we'll look at the new mind um, and how our mind is, has been changed because of um, the fact that we've come to know the gospel. And thirdly, um, we'll look at verses 25 to 32 um, and how, how that new mind should look in, in our lives, what the fruit of our new mind should be. So we'll start uh, with the old mind. Uh, Paul starts by saying that we shouldn't live like the Gentiles. And to clarify, when we say Gentiles, we don't mean the Gentiles in the flesh, because that's most of us. Um, we actually mean uh, the Gentiles uh, as those who are outside of the true Israel. Um, the true Israel are, are those who have come to know Christ and believe in the gospel, um, then spiritual Gentiles are those who do not. 
So when we say we should not live like the Gentiles, we should not live like unbelievers. Um, and that is because their minds are minds that are set against love in every way. Um, and this reveals itself in our reading uh, initially in three attributes. Uh, firstly, that they are futile, darkened, and ignorant. Verse 17, now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Firstly, futility. The Gentiles, should, uh, the, the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. The NIV um, calls or translates this the futility of their thinking. Um, so when we're thinking about the mind, we're thinking about the thoughts that we have, the way that we think. Um, and the KJV, Gentile version, translates this as the vanity of their minds. Um, if we were to think on that word vanity, we'd most likely be taken to the book of Ephesians. Um, the Ephesians, um, the preacher, says that all of life under the sun is vanity. Um, working and wisdom, even life, is all void of all meaning, um, apart from, we get to the end, serving God and doing Him. Um, I can remember clearly a time before I knew the Life was simply about living for the next thing or the next experience that I could get my hands on. Life was not about fun. It was about video games, sporting seasons, about YouTube clips, my friends, whether anyone liked me. And all of it was just like sand running through my fingers. It was vanity. I didn't get anything. Video games get old, sporting seasons, finish, friendships get forgotten. It's all vanity and the Gentiles' minds filled with these things. Secondly, darkened. They are darkened in their understanding. The theme of darkness never has good connotations in the Bible, but is almost always associated with wickedness. And Paul is essentially saying that the Gentiles' mind is like a pitchback black room. There was no light in this room, and you couldn't see anything. You wouldn't be able to get, make your way around. You wouldn't know where the, where the back door was. Um, and I wonder if anyone has ever tried to put their face, or put their, not their face, put their hand in front of their face in a room like that. If you do that, you can't see your hand. And it's, it's much like that with the Gentiles' mind. I say that because it's the glory of the Lord in the gospel was to appear in the room, the Gentile wouldn't see it. It would be like if you were squared up to someone in that, in that same room and they couldn't see you, and you would start throwing a punch at them. They wouldn't duck or, or do the uh, Muhammad Ali. They wouldn't do that because they can't see anything. They're blind. And so it's, even if the gospel is proclaimed to them clearly, um, Second Corinthians is veiled over their face. And their ignorance, they are darkening their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And the Gentiles are not ignorant of everything. There are some very smart people where I work at the APVMH, but 
They are ignorant about God. Um, everything that we've seen in Ephesians that we've uh, gone through in chapters one to three, the fact that God the Father has predestined the people to be adopted, the fact that the Son has redeemed a people um, so they can be saved from their sins, and the fact that Christians have been made alive, or we can be made alive by the Holy Spirit. Um, that's not even on their radar. It's completely, they're completely ignorant. And last year, um, a few of us went um, evangelizing to uh, people in Armadale on Easter Sunday, asking what was being with the gospel was. The new why we celebrate Easter Sunday. Um, and you'd be surprised how many people have no idea that the Gentiles are ignorant. Um, and so these, are all, these are all just attributes there is something deep, uh, deeper behind these things. Um, and we read that in verse 18. They're darkening their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind. Paul says that the Gentiles' ignorance is due to or owing to their hardness of heart. It's not, this, it's not just that they don't know God, it's that they actually don't want to know God. There's, there's a big difference. They don't want to know the truth. Not everyone knows the story of the crucifixion of Christ, but everyone knows on some level that God does exist. You only have to look outside to see that. So the Gentile makes a conscious choice to say, no, I don't want that. I don't want God. I don't want a God who throws people into hell, who tells me what to do, who only predestines people to be saved. That's what's really going on here. And we need to examine ourselves. If God will hold me to account whether I want to know the truth. He will hold you, each one of you, to, to account whether you want to know the truth. How far are we willing to go to know the true God? When God's gaze meets yours on Judgment Day, He will know whether you want to know Him. Will He see you as someone who desired to gaze upon Him, to inquire in His temple? Come to that later. And some of us might say, "Well, that's all very well and good, but we don't need to get too um, crazy about truth in order to live good or godly lives." Um, and to that, we'll go to verse nineteen. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. A heart that rejects God, a heart that is hard rejects God, sorry, but a heart that continuously rejects knowing Him in this way always callous. Um, I have a few friends who go to the gym and I'm sure many of you worked outside at times and um, after a bit of hard work you get these calluses on your hands. Um, essentially that's just dead skin building up and um, at the end of the day you can't feel it in the same way. So the feeling is numbed. And Paul is saying that about the Gentile's heart because he's rejected God so many times. His heart has been so hard consistently. His, his, his heart has become numbed to the fact that 
And the way that that displays itself is that you become ruled by your senses. You become licentious, lacking in willpower or moral discipline. If you steal, or if you want to steal, then you just steal. If you want to swear, then you just swear. If you want to waste your money, then you waste your money. If you want to commit sexual immorality, then you commit sexual immorality. And we read on. Paul says the Gentile is free to practice every kind of immorality. He's not just greedy, he's greedy to be greedy. Um, he's greedy to be sexually immoral, greedy to be angry. He's not just coveting, which is sin, he's coveting the opportunity to indulge in sin. So we have to ask ourselves do you want to know the will of God? Because this, if we do not, this will be where we end up. Do you want to know? Are you happy with your own life? Because we can, and I know this, we can sit in our, in our seats and, and listen and not really change, not really desire to seek after God. Deeper and deeper we'll find the hole that the Gentile digs for himself. He goes from seeing God to rejecting him with a hard heart becoming callous, to having a mind that is blind to the truth, and from that blind mind, the Gentile walks in wickedness. And that's the old mind. So we need to be on our guard. We move on to verse 20. Paul says, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Paul now says, instead of rejecting uh, God as the Gentiles do, the power to walk in a godly way comes by looking at your conversion. Because in that conversion that you all perhaps experienced, you came to know Christ. If you want to live a godly life and walk in a manner worthy of the calling, we don't need to go further than how we first learned Christ. There are lots of books that you can get from Quran or whatever. You can stack them up with that before. Um, but that's not where we need to go. We need to know how to, we need to learn Christ again. Now, how did we learn him? We heard the gospel. You realize that you are standing right now, even now, under a holy and righteous God. You realized when you looked at yourself, your own callous heart, you saw how sinful you were. And then when you were about to despair, you saw Christ on the cross, dying for your sins because he loved you. And all of a sudden, that gospel doesn't seem so stupid anymore. It's not a waste of time. It's not something that should be put on the back burner, it's something that should fill your mind. So Paul says, look back to your conversion. But what should we do after we look back at that conversion? We read on, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self 
created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Once we have looked back at our conversion or even re-experienced our conversion, the first thing God is calling us to do is to throw our old life away. Put off your old self. Because everything that came from your old life is corrupt and came from deceitful desires. Jesus said to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Paul also says that we should put on the new self, which is created after true righteousness and holiness. We should be pursuing those things. But in between those two calls is the call to renew our mind. We need to conform our thinking um, from the way that we used to think to the way that God thinks to what he says. And so this should put a stopper to anyone who would say that the truth about God doesn't matter. There are lots of people who would simply give up on doctrine and rather blur the divide between those who have a right view of God and a wrong view. But it's only when we focus on Jesus that we will renew our minds. Because in him is the truth. That means that we need to be thinking true, biblical thoughts of Jesus. If we say that Jesus isn't God forever and ever, or that he didn't lay the foundation of the world in the beginning, or that he didn't die for our sins, yet that only was one, then we aren't renewing our minds. This is why Paul's prayer for us in chapter 2 is that the heart, the eyes of our hearts will be enlightened to know the truth about God. That's why in chapter 4, um, God gives leaders so that we might no longer be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Because if our minds aren't focusing on the Lord Jesus, we won't be renewing our minds. We will be living like the Gentiles. But it should also convict us in another way. Flip with me to our Old Testament reading, Psalm 27. Um, and I'll read from verse 1. Get a bookmark for this time. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When evil doers assail me to eat out my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I see. There are lots of things in this psalm that would be worth dwelling on and would be worth talking about. Um, but the one thing that I want to focus on is the desire of Paul in response to God's salvation 
to seek him, to seek God. Um, he starts it off in verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. With whom shall I be afraid? That there's God's salvation. And that influences how, how he speaks in verses 2 and 3, for example. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Why? Because the Lord is my life and my salvation. Verse 3, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. Why? Because the Lord is, my, is the stronghold of my life, and shall be afraid. And so, as a result of that, this is his response. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I will seek after. He seeks to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. Every day. All day. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, not just to look, but to inquire in this temple, not just to think about this. And then we go on, verse 5, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the corner of his tent, as his salvation in him. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and it keeps going on and on until verse 8, you have said, Seek my face. The word seek is plural. So I take that to mean that God has asked all creation to seek his face. And then my heart says to you, in response, Lord, your face do I seek. His response to God's salvation is to seek his face. And as he does that, his mind is renewed. Turn back to Ephesians 4. His mind is renewed. It is not God's desire that our attempts to live godly lives will be cold intellectual pursuits. Renewing our minds is the pursuit of God as a person, as Christ, not as a philosophy. And I'm as guilty as that as anyone. But that's what God's word is saying. So, are you seeking? Did you seek him this morning when you woke up? Is your television, work, or hobbies taking up more room and space in your mind than pursuing God? Because it can very easily. But have you realized that without God's word changing you, without his word doing something, those things, all of them, won't do anything to pray in Christ? It's only God's word, as he does his work, that changes us. So wives and husbands, how often are you opening God's word? Are you doing it at all? Or are we wasting our time elsewhere? Because if we just read our Bibles to get it over with, or we neglect it altogether, what are we really saying about our appetite for God? About how good and worthy of praise he is? What does that say about our view of him and his salvation? And so we come to the third part of our reading this morning, um, which I've titled The Fruit of Mankind. Um, and so um, there are certain ways um, that no matter who we are, no matter what our circumstances are, we should be changing. 
if our minds have been computed. Um, and there are five ways, five different routes that we'll look at this morning. Speaking the truth, killing our anger, doing honest work, building up with our words and not grieving the Holy Spirit. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So we should speak the truth. This should condemn the idea that we should just make each other feel good. Um, the idea that we've, we should just be loving is, has been thrown around a lot um, recently. Um, but if the power to live a godly life, which is so important, comes by renewing our minds, and we need to renew our minds in truth, and speaking the truth is perhaps the most important thing we can do. Now we should love, but God is a God of truth, not lies, and not a God of mysticism either. And if we aren't speaking according to the truth, then it follows that we aren't speaking according to God. In fact, our words might as well be against God. We might as well be speaking out against God. God's vision for us is to be people who don't tell white lies, and who don't turn a blind eye when we could say the truth. To be people who don't make up stories, but to be people who have a conviction to stand and speak as well. Stand forward and speak as well. Secondly, verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. We should not be, we should not sin. We should not sin when we are angry. Nor should we let that anger go unresolved. For Paul, to let the sun go down on his anger would be to give an opportunity for the devil. And he, he will use it. The line of thought here is that the devil will tempt you. So it would not only be wrong, but it would be dangerous to let our minds dwell with anger. Um, however, we might justify that anger. If your mind has been renewed by the gospel, we will be all the more humbled at his death for us. To know that Christ had every right to be angry when he was crucified, but entrusted himself fully to his heavenly Father knowing that God the Father had every right to be angry at him, and yet kept putting back the day of judgment day. Let God be angry, and in all circumstances, let us at Chapel Street keep doing his work. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with him. Found this one challenging, but is there any money in your pocket or in your bank account that shouldn't be yours? I've known many people to be very content with being either overpaid by something like Centrelink or undercharged. Um, they're going to have a meal. It seems to be the way of the world to get angry when we um, angry when we don't get what we deserve, but to be also angry, sorry, when we uh, don't get what we do deserve. 
Sorry, I'm confusing myself. <laughs> um, that is a mind of futility. But to know Christ is to have the mind of futility taken away. Remember Zacchaeus in the Gospels. When he met Christ, he realized that he could have Christ as a friend. That he could know Christ. And because of that, he gave it all away. And four times as much. Suddenly, he was the richest man in the world, not because of what he had stolen, but because of who he knew. God's desire for us is that we would be like that. Paul is saying, realize, chapter 3, you have Jesus. So we ought to be honest in our work, not being stingy with our hours, as has been um, said before, but content in Christ and being generous in all circumstances. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your work. Come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. In the rhythm of your daily life, what is coming out of your mouth? Because what is in your mouth is more than an outflow of the thoughts in your mind. Do you find yourself belittling your wife? Is your joking hurting others? Do you gossip about others behind closed doors? Are you careful not to slander? God's will is that we would all be people who guard the integrity of our words. We would only build up with them. If the world, if the world considers a word to be wrong, then we should have nothing to do with that. How much more should we hate it if the world hates it? Christ was silent when he, by our standards, had every right to curse and swear, but instead we follow his example when we give grace to those who hear. We fit our words to the occasion and give grace as God has given grace to us. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. The final command, Paul spends detail here, is not to grieve the Spirit of God. And what does that mean? Simply it means to, if you know Christ, not to do these things, not to sin in any way. You may just think that a word is a word. Well, the thing that you stole is only small. You only did it once. The lie is meaningless. The anger is justified. But at every moment you sin, you have forgotten in that moment the kind of God that you serve. You've become like the Gentile, futile, darkened, ignorant. And you need to renew your mind again. And so our sins really do grieve God. Because uh, the God of the Bible is one who is completely holy and good. No evil can dwell with him. Every sin is disgusting. It's horrible. So do not harden your heart to the small sins that Paul is taking time here to talk about. 
But instead of doing that, beg God to help you. Pray, God, please give me a conviction not to grieve you anymore. And as you look at your life, check and see whether there is any bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander. The list is so long because I think there are so many ways in which we can sin. And there are so many ways in which we can do good. So analyze yourself. As we close, um, we'll just recap and, and say that we need to be careful and listen to God's word. We need to be seeking it. God's word is saying that we can't be complacent or idle about our godliness. Instead, seek him. Learn about him as you read the word, inquire in his temple, want to gaze upon his beauty. And as you do, your mind will be conformed to Christ's, and then we will love to live to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if you have saved us all, we all once walked um, in the passions of our flesh. We were all once Gentiles, futile, ignorant, darkened in our thinking. Thank you that your gospel, your son, has renewed our minds. And you have made us alive so that we can walk in true righteousness and holiness. Lord, I pray that you would bring us back to our conversion, back to seeing Christ crucified on the cross for our sins, that we might have infinite joy. Please help us to seek your face. In Jesus' name.